This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. So we started this podcast at the beginning of 2020. It's just shy of a year ago. And I've opened every episode with that line about changing Virginia. And it's hard to believe that we were actually using that phrase before our citizens, our economy, and our state treasury underwent massive losses due to the global pandemic. I mean, a year ago, Democrats won majorities in both houses of the General Assembly for the first time in decades. That's kind of why we started this podcast in the first place. But honestly, that's not even the core thing that's changing in Virginia. The last state elections were important, for sure, but they reflect deeper changes that are happening in the state. For my money, that deeper change is the core makeup of Virginia's economy. Virginia used to be dominated by agricultural interests, particularly big tobacco, then more manufacturing, and a good part of Virginia's economy still is based in manufacturing. Then with the expansion of the federal government in the second half of the 20th century, government work became the key industry. But over the last few decades, Virginia's economic growth has shifted to the tech sector in a big way. You might know about Amazon's HQ2. That's the East Coast headquarters for the tech giant that's planned for construction in Arlington. Or maybe you heard about Facebook, leasing a few hundred thousand square feet of office space in Reston. Or if you're anything like me, you've driven past enormous data centers on the side of the road without even realizing it. Now, tech companies are being wooed into other parts of the state, particularly around Richmond. And Virginia's tech sector shows no signs of slowing down its growth. So what's that mean for Virginia and its residents? What does the future of Virginia's economy actually look like? Well, to talk about that, we turn to our old friend Peter Galaska. He's a journalist based in the Richmond area, and he recently investigated some of these questions for a piece in Style Weekly. Well, Peter, we uh, started this podcast at the beginning of 2020, and it was a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. That's my little slogan. Mm -hmm. um, you've been a regular guest here going back to the very first episode, and you know, you and I talk a lot about politics and campaigns and legislation. Um, the obvious change in the last year is that Democrats won majorities in the state Senate and the General Assembly for the first time in decades. But that's more of a reflection of deeper changes in Virginia, not the actual main mm -hmm. change itself. Peter, let's zoom out to the big picture. How is Virginia changing, particularly Virginia's economy? Well, I think one of the things that's going on here is that, um, and people have been you know, pushing this for years and years, is, is tech is really here in Virginia and has been, um, especially in northern Virginia, because something like 70 to 80 percent of all the Internet traffic goes through northern Virginia for a number of reasons, basically because the Pentagon program actually helped start the Internet. You had AOL and um, other firms who were pioneers in it. And so but now what's happened is that Northern Virginia has been, you know, uh, become a real locus, maybe one of the leading places in the world for data centers. And data centers, of course, are giant warehouses where servers of all kinds are kept refrigerated. And it's going to be becoming more and more prevalent because um, we're going to 5G cell phones. Uh, which is going to demand a lot more um, data use. And we're also going to more artificial intelligence, which require gobs of data and processing and the like. And that, one of the obvious examples for that would be driverless cars. And now what's happened is that the um, influence of Northern Virginia and data centers and the net and everything else is, is sort of trickling downstate. And you have data centers now in Richmond. You've got them talked about in Southside Virginia and Southwestern Virginia. 
And uh, it's being pushed by the, the big biggies of high tech like Google and Amazon and Microsoft and uh, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And that is bringing a whole lot of changes. It's, it's one of the reasons Dominion Energy has gone green because they want it to go green. And so you're seeing a real uh, you know, sort of disruption, which is a big you know, economic term, of the old industries, you know, metal benders like shipyards and coal mines and things like that, uh, in favor of, of the newer, newer ones. And the new people really don't have the old values. I want to definitely get, there's a lot there, and I want to definitely tease it out as we go. But let's take a minute to to kind of look back at how Virginia's economy got here. A little uh, thumbnail sketch. What did Virginia's economy lean on back in the early 20th century? Well, of course, the, the thing was is that Virginia, from day one, I think it has been to, very tobacco-oriented. I think one of the first, if not the first, laws passed in the Williamsburg uh, legislature was uh, price supports for tobacco. And, and this is so back in like the 1600s? Yeah, 16, 19, 16, 20, something like that. I don't remember exactly the date, but it was it was one of the first things they really thought about because they wanted mm-hmm. to support price for tobacco, which has been going on for many years. It's been a heavily subsidized crop. Anyway, so that's that's the whole plantation mentality and whole plantation economy we sort of came around uh, tobacco. Um, and uh, it has for since, you know, brought in slavery, brought in all kinds of things. And so you had this sort of plantation uh, mentality that has dominated the legislature. And, of course, then, of course, by the 19th century, you started having more industries, especially in the Richmond area, um, iron, things like that, manufacturing. And, of course, you had tobacco plants, you had textile plants, you had um, um, furniture plants, especially in the south side. And these were the the industries that really supported Virginia well into the 20th century. You know, it's interesting, Peter. I've looked at uh, stats on Virginia's population over the years, and you and I both have a connection to West Virginia as well. And so just by comparison, and as recently as 1940, the the two population states, Virginia and West Virginia, weren't that far apart. You know, Virginia had two and a half million people. West Virginia had two million people. And from then on, there was a big divergence. And now, you know, West Virginia's actually lost people. Meanwhile, Virginia is up around eight and a half million or so. A lot of that is from the expansion of the federal government. After World War Absolutely. II. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did that come to be? What's the uh, what's the story on the second half of the 20th century here? Well, I mean, it was really interesting. I was watching um, in my boredom with the COVID crisis. I was watching something um, about Dwight Eisenhower. And, you know, he warned when he left office in 1960, he warned of the military industrial complex as being a major, major new force that developed after World War II and became sort of cemented the United States in a wartime economy. And Virginia was a great benefactor of that. I think Virginia is either today either the number one or the number two state, depending on what California is doing in the defense industry. And this involves all kinds of stuff. Of course, the, the major, you know, the Pentagon is in Virginia, the CIA is headquartered in Virginia, and many of the other ancillary government, federal government operations are. You've got a huge complex in the Hampton Roads area with the, the Navy and the Air Force. You've got the Marine Corps and Quantico and and all their supporting industries. And, you know, logistics are based in the Richmond and Petersburg, actually, at Fort Lee, and on it goes. And uh, it just keeps on going and going and going. And so with the Cold War, uh, Virginia has really, uh, you know, dashed forward. And um, like you mentioned, the Internet, that was a defense, you know, DARPA, Defense Advanced Projects uh, Agency, you know, part of the its initiation was there. Is that how Northern Virginia became a big home for tech sector jobs in the first place? 
It is. I mean, there's several reasons. Um, I've done some research in the area, um, and and part of it was you had a really strong infrastructure there to begin with. You had everything you needed. You had the connections. It was wired. And believe it or not, as much as we criticize our utilities compared to other states, the power here is pretty cheap. You need a great deal of electricity. And that's why a number of companies um, have located to Virginia from, say, the West Coast, because their electricity is a lot more expensive. And here it's available and cheaper. You know, what's been happening in the tech sector in the last couple of decades here in Virginia? Well, what's happening is that more and more net stuff is going through, and the net has really transformed the economy. And um, what you're seeing now is uh, one of the – I wrote a story recently in Style Weekly in Richmond about this, which I didn't really quite understand. But a lot of the really high-speed, high-volume undersea cables used to go, say, from Europe to New Jersey or New York. Now they're really – some brand-new lines that are super high capacity are going through Virginia Beach to Richmond and, and all over. So you're seeing uh, – and these these, you know – new lines undersea cables are being sponsored by people like google because you know you're having lines coming in from brazil you have lines coming in from uh, spain and france and soon to be south africa and so it's kind of transformative um and much more so than before one thing i learned peter from your article was that a a big push for some of these new cables coming from uh, rather coming into virginia beach and richmond was to build up redundancies Right. So exactly. If you had Hurricane Sandy, another one go hit New York and New Jersey and take down the grid for a while, take out the connection for a while. You're kind of screwed. (laughs) Yeah, really. And that's what happened. I've heard that from a number of people that uh, during Sandy happened, what, about eight years ago. Um, Anyway, that was a huge, you know, mega storm, late late season storm. And it really knocked out power um, in in the grid in in the northeast around the New York City area. And it did affect. you know, capacity and, 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 and information communications. So this idea is to, of course, I mean, frankly, I mean, undersea cables have been around since the 1850s, so it's not nothing really new here, just that the new ones are extremely fast and um, and they, they really are competitive. And uh, as the world, world becomes more globally inter- interconnected, um, they are becoming more and more important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, we, we think of... Or, or at least I think of the internet as this invisible thing that you know flows through wires to other computers. But uh, you know, I don't often think about how the data flows or where it flows through physically, or who the people are who make it work. You know, it's just you drive by these nondescript buildings and it's like, oh yeah, that processes billions of bytes every day. <laughs> yeah, ironically, one of the downsides of the data centers. I mean, there's uh, they don't they don't really even the more and more being planned in other parts of Virginia, they don't really have permanent jobs of any great number. I mean, usually they can usually be staffed by 150 to 200 people on a permanent basis. So that's sort of their downside. And the other thing that Virginia is doing, which may not always be a good thing, I know some environmentalists have raised questions about this, is that they often, um, you know, get a lot of incentives from localities and uh, they really lower their taxes to get these things. And, you know, sure, they pay back taxes later, but you know, you got to, it's the same old Virginia problem. It's a problem everywhere where, you know, are you, is it really that competitive when everyone's throwing money at you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always a ceiling that seems to be hit when you're trying to attract out-of-state industries to, to you know, set up shop. Um, how much are you going to benefit, you know, or how much are you paying per worker in tax breaks? Um, exactly. 
let's get into that in a sec. I want to uh, talk a little bit about how these tech jobs and data centers, uh, with Northern Virginia being somewhat saturated with them, there's more of them moving into the Richmond area now. How come? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. One is is that um, you know they are saturated, getting saturated in Northern Virginia, and especially in Loudoun County. So, you know, they're basically started around Sterling as part of the, the, the mega center of the data centers. Um, and, you know, land is becoming more expensive there. And I know Facebook, for example, um, was seduced to go to Henrico County, um, just east of Richmond, uh, several years ago. And they're building a, a very large uh, data center there. I think uh, it's par- partially in operation. Um, that's Facebook. And other ones are coming in, too, uh, and have come in. And there are ones planned, I think, in uh, Pulaski County and other places. And land is cheap and, um, you know, just spreads around. So um, that's that's what's happening. And, I mean, it's a good thing. Um, and one of the things, that's, you know, as I mentioned, we want, want to get into this in a little bit, but it's really had an impact uh, on, say, Dominion. And, and, and a lot of these people, like the uh, Zuckerbergs and the... Um, uh, Bezos of the world, um, like AOL people, they want green power. And all of a sudden, two years ago, Dominion started making a major shift that I didn't at first take seriously, but now I kind of do, to go towards wind power and solar power. And these new new companies want uh, 100% renewable energy because their data centers require a great deal of electricity. Yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit too. The as we describe these data centers moving in and the flows of, of data, you know, east, west, north, and south. That um, yeah, it's kind of reminded of like the industrial revolution, those early manufacturing uh, factories in the northeast, and then later the Midwest, um, and then after the invention of air conditioning, they moved to the south where labor was cheaper. But thinking about data centers is kind of like the post-industrial equivalent of factories. It's a, a, a sort of a similar, at least in my headspace, seems to work as a metaphor. But there is a big difference. Factories, you know, at least most of them back then, didn't care about what they did to the environment. Today, the tech industry really wants that cleaner electricity. Exactly. How, how much are they uh, succeeding in, in changing Dominion's uh, well, model? Well, let's put it this way. Facebook. Um, when it went into Henrico, and it's already partially in operation, um, it's at least a billion dollars um, um, project. Um, they wanted Dominion, they entered into, entered into an agreement with uh, Dominion that they will need eventually 500 megawatts of power to operate. And um, they got, a, got Dominion to agree to an offset that uh, Dominion, which of course still has a mix of fossil fuel and some renewables, uh, and nuclear will um, provide. They will make sure that the 500 megawatts that they they provide the, the data center to Facebook will be offset by renewable power, and that's why um, most of it will be solar initially. And D- Dominion is involved in some very large projects right now to to in, you know spread solar throughout the state and in wind turbines off the coast of Virginia Beach. And um, you know they're only a couple in operation now, but um, they plan you know a lot more, 183 of them maybe. Uh, so that they, I talked to Dominion about it, and they they say yeah, we the customers want this, so that's what we're doing. And as I said, I didn't take it too seriously because Dominion had been a diehard fossil fuel, you know kind of operation and you know pushed a lot of you know gas situations such as the Atlantic Coast pipeline but now they scrapped Atlantic Coast pipeline and they're going to, towards renewables which is kind of remarkable it's a an interesting confluence of a couple of things i mean you, 
you know, politically, Dominion has been this uh, big political donor, old school, uh, supporting both parties and getting favorable policies just, you know, left and right, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. politically. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've been the biggest corporate player in state politics. Um, the the pivot to this kind of greenwashing model seems to have gone pretty quickly. <laughs> Um, how will the heft of the big tech companies change that dynamic on the political side? Well, first off, I mean, Dominion still is a major political power, even though some mostly Democratic um, politicians say they're not taking donations from Dominion. But Dominion still has tremendous influence. And one of the things that people wonder about um, is that even though Dominion does seem to be going towards renewables, it's going to be done on the shoulders of the ratepayers. Because a lot of, for example, you look at some wind projects, especially in New England and uh, overseas, there tend to be independent operations where they're kind of like, you know, in, in private investors go in and invest in them. But in this case, Dominion has succeeded in having ratepayers, um, you know, pay for this stuff. So it's really kind of um, not too much risk for them. And is that good or bad? I don't know. Some people say it's bad because, you know, why should we, you know, people like me, I pay my electric bill every month. Why should I have to? you know, worry about something that may or may not work. And it's a fair argument. Mm-hmm. So the Dominion is, though, you know, we've got some solar projects and turbine projects in the pipeline, so to speak. Um, are these going far enough? Are there enough of them? You know, you talked about how these data centers are big electricity hogs. Exactly. I know um, I spoke with Ivy Main, who's a former EPA lawyer, and she now is with the Sierra Club. And she just said, you know, you're going to need far more um, renewable sources than what they have right now in the planning boards to really meet the need. And so I don't know, you know, as I say, I mean, Dominion is, is getting a, a big public relations boost out of this and they don't really, their, their shareholders aren't that exposed because it, it's guaranteed by the state corporation commission that they'll be paid through rates. So, you know, that's kind of a good question. Um, you need more, but who's paying for it and what's going to happen? I'm reminded of a refrain you and I have concluded with a number of times over the years with when it comes to Dominion, it's, it's nice work if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, really? Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's, those are all good questions, but I mean, um, you know, as some people, including some at UVA have said to me, at least, you know, this is still a good thing because, um, you know, we're not pushing coal plants. We're not trying to, you know, push more gas. I mean, Dominion also has dumped a project in the in South side. Um, for a big gas plant, or just it didn't make much news, but it, recently they did that too. So, um, and this is a move towards carbon reduction, which could do something about global warming. Peter Galaska is a journalist based in the Richmond area. We'll hear more from him after a short break. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. Have a friend who's trying to figure out Virginia state politics? Well, tell them about this show. And then subscribe in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever fine podcasts are served up. And hey, while you're there, why not leave a five-star review? I like five-star reviews. By the way, our next episode of Bold Dominion is going to drop around December 29th, give or take. We're doing a year in review for what is undoubtedly the craziest year of my lifetime, It's going to be a fun thing. Uh, We're going to actually do a crossover episode with the guys from Transition Virginia. They're pretty smart fellas, and they also started a Virginia State Politics podcast this year. Great minds, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, don't miss the conversation. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. 
Check out all the podcasts from The Collective, including Circle of Willis, hosted by a professor at UVA named Jim Cohn. He has conversations with and about real scientists. The latest episode features Tim Cunningham from Emory Healthcare talking about how caregivers and patients endure pandemics like the one we're in now. And Tim would know he was a pediatric nurse in Sierra Leone during the Ebola crisis. He's also a professional clown. Yeah, like a clown. And he talks about the life-affirming practice of clowning and how it dovetails with nursing and medicine. That's Circle of Willis, available at virginiaaudio.org. So in this episode, we've talked a fair bit about the rise of data centers and tech in Virginia. But let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture. What do these data centers mean for Virginia more broadly and for our political choices going forward? What kind of impact will the coronavirus pandemic have on these trends? Well, we're back with Richmond-based journalist Peter Galaska. I want to talk, uh, go back to the economics of data centers a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned that, well, and again, kind of like using that industrial revolution comparison again, you know, factories need thousands of workers, data centers need, like you say, about maybe 150. How much do these data centers actually contribute to the state's economy? Well, they do pay taxes, and um, that's good, and you know, that's that's important. And there are draws for other ancillary facilities. I mean, I know that, um, for example, take the example of Henrico uh, in suburban Richmond. Back in the 90s, um, Henrico and also Goochland counties made big deals with Motorola to get semiconductors, you know, computer chip makers. And most of those, those projects failed because, you know, semiconductors are really kind of easily made and they've been offshore uh, for years. But now they come in, um, they repurpose some of those sites into data centers and data centers can't be as easily offshored. So that's the kind of thing. You get something, a winter kind of industry, say it's like textiles for a while, then all of a sudden you can make them a lot cheaper in Guatemala. So you go to Guatemala and you screw over Virginia workers. So um, this is going to be a little bit, one of the things, there seems to be more promise of staying power for these. And um, and also they do attract other industries and supporting industries, um, and they have. And you get a draw, and you know that one. There's one center in White Oak, I think it's called in, in Henrico, that was repurposed from semiconductors to data, and it's now like the uh, terminus of at least two new underwater, undersea cables, which is going to draw more people and more more other industries. So we'll see. Yeah, I want to look down the road a few years then. Uh, you know, Northern Virginia continues to be pretty saturated with data centers. Uh, five, mm-hmm. ten years down the road, 20 years down the road, Richmond, Henrico develop a bunch more, and that area mm-hmm. becomes a bigger part of the state's tech sector. How does that change the state's population? Not just numbers, but, you know, overall. Well, in the last year, the coronavirus has made people work from home. I mean, I already was, was working from home, so it's not anything new for me, but I could not survive without my Internet. And my phone system, I just couldn't. Um, and now more companies who had been investing in, say, downtown offices and cities are no longer considering that. And they're saying they can, it may be cheaper for everyone to, to work from home. I know this is a bad, bad example, but I know Tribune Publishing is uh, closing newsrooms around the country, including Hartford, Connecticut, and, uh, and Newport News and Norfolk, and having everyone work from home. 
Well, so, and, uh, even from a, a non-media example, but over in the insurance sector, um, you know, State Farm has closed their Charlottesville building and their their office buildings in more than a dozen other cities around the country, um, insurance claim adjusters and all the rest. Now, they're not laying those people off. They're just saying, yeah, work from home. Um, and that's fine for now. We still have whatever that is, 1,200, 1,300 people on the payroll of State Farm living here. But what happens when those people retire or move on and the new employee in that role can work from anywhere. What happens to towns and communities? Well, it's going to change things. I mean, there was a big movement back to the city movement um, that had been really strong, especially with millennials. Um, that seems to be changing. And now burbs are back in um, because, you know, people, land is cheaper and uh, you don't have that. So I think you're going to see longer term uh, a major change in, you know, human settlement patterns. Um as people can work from anywhere they want to, even rural areas. The problem with Virginia is that broadband doesn't stretch everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll see. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit, how the, the growing tech sector in Virginia changes or is changing the state's politics. But what are the mm-hmm. sort of longer term, five, ten years down the road? Well, I just think that what you're seeing is that, you know, with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the k- killings of uh, – of black people by police is just brought on a, a sweeping change of like Confederate memorials and, and attitudes. And, and one of the reasons that that's being pushed forward is because so many people have moved to Virginia who, who didn't grow up with that. You know, I mean, I grew up, you know, with, you know, like Clarksburg, West Virginia and Stonewall Jackson. And I worked in North Carolina, on a little paper. And just a few years before that, they had segregated columns and, you know, I remember that. And, but the new people who come, are coming into the state who are better educated, et cetera, uh, don't have that baggage. You know, they don't have that kind of memory. And a lot of this stuff is best done with anyway. Um, so I think that's going to change things. That's one of the reasons why Virginia has become a bluer state, because, I mean, it's really broken down into, you know, very Democratic voters in northern Virginia and the suburbs of Richmond and, and Hampton Roads against diehard Republicans in rural areas. And that's 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 still going to play out. But we see the trend. And speaking of trends, you know, we've seen um, Virginia, uh, you know, turning a little bit more liberal, centrist liberal uh, over the years, uh, certainly in statewide (laughs) races. Mm hmm. As a as a whole, I'm not sure if you would describe Virginia yet as progressive when it comes to economic policies. It's still a right to work state. It's still you know there, there's movements toward raising the minimum wage, but it's not exactly a, a, a big time pro worker state at this point. In fact, it still ranks pretty low on those lists. How much will the tech sector impact that side of things? Well, I got to raise a nasty little point here: is that the tech center is not really that pro labor. Right. <laughs> look at Google. I mean, come on, Amazon. Look at them. Uh, they're very they don't want unions either. It's still going to be a right to work state um, and for at least for the foreseeable future. So I think that partially answers the question. Yeah. So the tech sector maybe kind of likes that it's still right to work state. Well, the, on, the, on the upside, though, you'll probably get paid more and have more progressive or more you know liberal policies on on, you know, you know, work conditions and benefits and things like that. Um, so that's probably the good side because, you know, the old Virginia was, you know, we don't want, we want to provide you with our cheap labor and we're not going to give them anything, you know, and, uh, there's still that, that kind of attitude and, um, we'll see. What'll keep the tech jobs that are here or, or coming here, um, what'll, what'll make them stay instead of moving somewhere cheaper? 
Well, I think what's happening is that the whole impetus is towards more and more data. And as I mentioned, the 5G phones, I've heard mixed you know, reviews of them. They're really expensive and don't do that much more for you. But anyway, that's the trend. And they use more data. We're going to have more artificial intelligence doing you know, things that only humans can do now. And that's going to require a lot of data. For example, if you have a driverless car, you need some kind of sensors that can you know, process tons of data instantly, like how to stop to avoid hitting a pedestrian or hitting another car. And that, that's, that trend is just going to be on, ongoing. And so I think that, that secures the industry to some extent. Well, uh, in, in summary, what, what do you make of all of it? What comes, uh, how are things going to be? Well, I think what's going to happen is that it's, it's a bright thing for the state to keep going this way. It will provide some well-paying, secure jobs, although not a ton of them. You're not going to have a plant with thousands of workers. You're going to see um, it's going to be better for the environment. It's going to be more carbon neutral, um, and that's good. And so I think it's a good thing. Virginia's very lucky um, in many ways. It's, um, and so I think it's a, you know, it's a little bit of good news in an otherwise bad year. Peter Galaska is a journalist based in the Richmond area. Thanks to him for joining us on this week's show. My name's Nathan Moore, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Huge thanks, as always, to our producer, Ariane Balu. You can find this show online at bolddominion.org. Go ahead and subscribe. It's just a click away. Hey, our next episode of Bold Dominion drops around December 29th, and it'll be a year in review for one of the weirdest and least predictable years in Virginia politics. It's also a crossover episode with the guys from Transition Virginia. Be sure to check it out as you take your long winter's nap. And hey, as the year wraps up and the holiday season comes around, we're always on the lookout for topics for future episodes. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Send your ideas to our email address, bolddominion at virginia.edu. That's bolddominion at virginia.edu. You can also direct messages on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Happy holidays, y'all. Make sure to keep social distancing, and I'll talk with you again in a couple weeks. 